So we're starting this series with five different psalms, and um, part of maturing as a person, part of maturing as a Christian, is to learn how to process what's going on internally, whatever's going on externally. No matter what's going on in my world outside, is there equilibrium inside? And to help us achieve that goal, God has given us 150 psalms, prayers, songs, so that whatever the circumstances, good or bad, we can remain steady and strong in our walk with God, in our relationship with God. So when life is great, we don't forget God and become proud and start to believe the lie that we're self-sufficient. The Psalms keep us celebrating and thanking God for the good things rather than getting lost in them. When life is tough, we don't distance ourselves from God, but we learn how to process the anger or the hurt or the disappointment. And we don't believe the lie that he's forgotten us. And the Psalms help us find words for those moments. And today we're going to look at one of my most favourite Psalms. It is personally very precious to me. And it's all about how to find inner calm despite outer chaos. It's about inner strength despite external collapse. Now it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, however long you've been walking with Christ, the question of how can I discover peace and strength that will never leave me even if the mountains in my world are collapsing is something everyone in society wants. How do I find inner peace? How do I get a strength that never leaves me? And when the circumstances are all going awry, how can I have an equilibrium? You see, the Psalms and this Psalm can be applied on three levels. How to pray in chaos and collapse. It can be applied personally. What do I do when dreams are dashed? When people let me down? When the unexpected happens? When I run into difficulties? When my world seems to collapse? How do I make sure I'm not just this emotional wreck and roller coaster? As verse 2 says, when the mountains collapse and give way, is there a way that my heart cannot fear? And the answer is, yeah, you don't have to fear, even when mountains are collapsing. We can apply it on a national level. Think about Ireland over the last 15 years. First the rise of the Celtic tiger, and then the monumental collapse in 2008. Not only did the financial institutions of this country fall into the heart of the sea, to use the language for the Psalms, the political and religious ones did too. People's lives were ruined. People were left with debts they may not pay off. Suicide rates went up, particularly among young adult men. Unemployment went up to 15%. Many fled to Australia, Canada and the UK in search of more stable waters. As it says in verse 3, the waters were roaring and foaming and the mountains were quaking with the surging in Ireland. Nationally, there can be huge upheaval. How do you cope? How do you live in such times? And then we can think about it globally. First it's Iraq, then Afghanistan, then Israel, then Egypt, then Syria, then Ukraine, and then the terror of ISIS. This week's one man killing many on holiday in Tunisia. Then it's the earthquake of Haiti, and so on and so forth. Verse 6 says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling. So the question is, what do you do when life becomes tough, what do you do when things collapse and get chaotic around you, when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea? Now look, there's typically one of two reactions. 
Reaction number one, I try and take control. I'm going to control my circumstances. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to manipulate people. And if you're one of those people, it leads to burnout and anxiety because you're trying to control every variable in the world. Or you go, no, I'm not going to control my circumstances. I'm going to escape them with alcohol, Netflix, chocolate, whatever. And I'm just going to bury my head in the sand, but we all know that only leads to a problem in the morning. I wonder which of the two you tend towards when the mountain starts to fall in your life. Are you a control freak, full of anxiety and worry? Or do you run away and bury your head in the sand? With the psalmist today is going to teach us, there's a way of finding inner strength and stability that means you can face any circumstance, not by escaping it, not by taking control of it, but by trusting in the one who is in control of it. And knowing him as your warrior and your friend. You've got to know God as those two things. He's a warrior and he's a friend. Verse 7 says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Over the last three years, we're coming up three years now, Leanne and I moved to Ireland, as most of you know, to build a whole new life here in Dublin and start this church. And in all the uncertainty, trials and pressures, while everything that was familiar to our lives was stripped away from us, these verses and this psalm kept me up. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So I want to look at three things about how I find inner strength when there's external turmoil. How I find inner equilibrium when there's external chaos. I want to look, you're going to, the psalm says you need three things. You need a refuge, verse 3. You need a river, verse 4. And you need a moment to reflect, a reflection, verse 10. Let me say it again. We need, there's something to know, a refuge, a warrior friend. There's something to believe in, a river that nourishes an eternal kingdom that can never be shaken. And there's something to do. Take a moment of quiet, be still, and know that he is God. So something to know, something to believe in, and something to do. So let's start with know the, let's start with the one we need to know, a refuge. To know the refuge, our warrior friend. This is what it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, and then twice the same phrase, 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the psalmist calls God the Lord Almighty. And the literal translation is the Lord of hosts. And hosts means armies. We sing a song here. God of angels, armies is always at my side. A vast angelic troops who are waiting at God's side to go and defend and fight for God's people. And when God gives the word, they fly to your aid. He's the Lord Almighty, the God of this amazing army. And then it says, but he's also the God of Jacob. Do you remember the Old Testament story? The one that wrestled with God by the river Jabbok and the wrestling into blessing and intimacy and then a covenant, a relationship. But notice there's a reversal. So the military metaphor you know, the Lord Almighty, uh, the military metaphor, sorry, is about the personal God of Jacob. And yet the personal metaphor is about the Lord Almighty. 
So the terms are deliberately rearranged. We get intimacy with the warrior and we have defense from a family friend. A powerful God, the Lord of hosts, befriends me and a personal God, the God of Jacob, protects me like an army officer. And you know, you're going to need your God to be both those things if you're going to know peace in trials. If he's just a friend, he's not strong enough. And if he's just a warrior, He's not caring enough. We need God to be both. A family friend who defends me and a mighty warrior who draws near. He needs to be the warrior friend. Now who is he to you? My guess is many of you know God as a friend. And that's good. But you don't know him as a warrior. The almighty, the refuge. One of the signs you don't know God as a warrior is your life is marked by worry. You don't think God is big enough. He's not strong enough. He's not power. God doesn't consume me. He's just a friend I walk with. In the, he's not mighty. And therefore I try and control things. Instead of letting my warrior friend control things. If you read the Bible from start to finish. God is a warrior. No one can stand against him. No one can resist his power. Nothing can harm him. And he's your friend, and he's your family member, and he's for you. But don't make him small. Don't make him pathetic. Don't make him smaller than the mountains in your life. I wonder if you've made God too small, and he's a bit too cozy, and he's a friend, but he's nothing more. God is a warrior, and he's strong, and he's almighty, and he has an army of angels, and he can destroy anything. He can do what he wants. He's in charge, he's sovereign. He is a friend. But he's a warrior friend. And if you know that, the psalmist says, well, look, the earth can give way and the mountains can fall into the heart of the sea, but my heart does not fear because I know the warrior who's in charge of the universe and he's defending me. He's my refuge. Why do I fear? If you can't say that your life is not full of worry and fear, if you are anxious, it's probably because you know God as a friend but not a warrior. He's not almighty. He's rather small. What scares you does not scare him. The mountains that are big to you are not big to him. He's almighty. And he's your friend. Now flip it over for a minute. Some of you go, no, 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 Steve. I know God is in charge. I know he's almighty. I know he's powerful. I know he can do, do what he wants. But he feels so distant from me. He feels so disinterested. He's not a family member to me. He's not a confidant. He doesn't care. And the symptoms of knowing God as almighty but not as a friend is that you have a terrible prayer life. You don't, you're not walking with God every day. You're not talking to him like you would a friend. There's no intimacy. There's no engaging. God doesn't make a difference to the day-to-day. You believe in God. Sure, I, I give a, you know, God exists and he's in charge. But do I know him today as I go to work, as I go through these trials, as I love my kids? As I, is he my friend who's with me all the time? Which are you? Are you a warrior or are you apathetic in your faith? Are you anxious or you are indifferent? The antidote to either is to know the Lord Almighty is with you and the God of Jacob is your fortress. He's a warrior friend. He's ready to help. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Now there's one more thing to understand when I say you need to know God as your refuge, as warrior friend. To know in the Old Testament, 
The phrase it uses is, 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 is of two people making love. It's sexual intercourse. Adam knew Eve. Jacob knew Rachel. Joseph did not know Mary. You see, the best knowledge, the knowledge that is thorough and personal is not information in the mind, it's shared intimacy. And knowing and being known, it's vulnerability, it's ravishing, it's all-encompassing, it's transforming, it's uniting, known and being known. It's no good to know God in the sense that you mentally agree that he's a warrior and a friend. You have to know him by giving him your life, like lovers give themselves to each other. By trusting him for everything. By hiding nothing. By being radically honest and real. And then the warrior God will move from your mind to your heart. and He'll transform you. He'll ravish you. He'll calm you down. You won't fear. You have to give him everything like lovers. Give everything to one another. He'll be a ballast for the storm when you give yourself to him. To find inner strength and peace when everything's collapsing and chaotic, you need to know that the Lord Almighty is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. He's a warrior and he's a friend. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Secondly, you need to believe in the river that leads to an unshakable city. You need to know the God, and then you need to believe in the river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. Here the psalmist points out that for those who have the eyes of faith, when earthly cities... And earthly institutions of this world are collapsing. They can see another world, another city, another kingdom that's being built. An eternal city that's never going to fall. That's impenetrable. Nothing can access this city to destroy it. It's the city of God. It's the kingdom of God. Before Christ's coming, it was Jerusalem. But it was always actually about the heavenly Jerusalem, the church, you and me. In the midst of earthly cities and nations and kingdoms collapsing as they fight one another, as corrupt rulers make bad decisions, God is building another city and it's full of people that don't fear. It's full of people that don't fear. And they're never going to be destroyed. This city's eternal. Now the first person in history that we know about that wrote about the city of God was St. Augustine. He wrote about it in the 5th century in his famous book called The City of God. He wrote at a time when the Roman Empire collapsed. In 410, when Alaric the Goth came in and sacked Rome with the Vandals and the other barbarians. People had said of Rome, nothing could ever, nothing could ever topple this city. This kingdom's unshakable. And then it happened. And then people started to doubt, well, what was God doing? And people had started to assume that God had was involved in Rome because the Emperor Constantine had become a Christian and everyone, you know, and they thought, well, God's not in charge. And then other people thought, no, this is because you turned to Christianity and you shouldn't have left the Roman gods and this is punishment. And Augustine said, no, you're both wrong. We should never trust in earthly cities because God's about another city, an invisible city, a spiritual city. Spiritual and invisible, not that it's not real, not that it doesn't affect politics, geography, or military power, but spiritual and invisible because God is always about setting up rule in people's hearts, not here on earth with politics 
and military minds. The king sets up the kingdom within us. And so in the rough and tumble of one of the most violent times in history, when the barbarian hordes were streaming out the north and ravaging Roman civilization, Augustine realized that God was still in control and he was still building his kingdom that can never be shaken. And and the psalmist says, and therefore you need to have eyes of faith to see another city so that you don't lose hope. If you want to find stability and strength, you need to realize I do belong to a city that's never going to shake, that's eternal, that will outlast every earthly city. And therefore we will not fear and we will not give up. I don't need to take control because God is here to help at the break of day. I do not need to run away because God is here within her. I will not fall. fall. And you see, that's what the river's about. Every major city of the ancient world had a river. That's why they were ancient cities. That's why, sorry, that's why they were major cities. Because the boats would come with the trade and the business. And so cities always grew up around rivers. The Nile, the Euphrates, the Tigris, the Tiber, the Liffey. And we learn in Genesis 2 that rivers flow out of Eden. And Ezekiel 48 and Revelation 22 says, when the final city of God comes, there's a river. And either side of the river, there are trees which bring healing to the nations of the world. And it's the river that gives life to the city. And in scripture, the river of God, the water of God, is always the Holy Spirit. It's the river that gives life to the city. It's the Holy Spirit that gives life to this new city. That in the midst of chaos, new life is being born. God is bringing his rule into people's hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray because we need to get our hearts out of the present situation and process and all the chaos and the crumbling and go, ah, but I can see what God is doing in the midst of this chaos. Eugene Peterson calls it praying imagination. I'm so locked into the ways of this world. And as I pray, oh, I'd never seen this, what God was really doing. I was looking at it from an earthly lens. I was so consumed with this and I didn't see what God was doing. So there's a river. The Holy Spirit is at work. Now you might say, but God, this is a waste. All that happened in Ireland, all that's happening around the world, it's a waste. But God says, no, you look again. Come to me in prayer. Something else is happening. Let me just give you a point of personal testimony. My dad works with doctors all over the world, Christian doctors, helping them witness to Christ in their medical profession, which is a pretty challenging place if you're a doctor these days. And he goes into all the places which are on the news. In the last 24 months, he's been to Egypt, Syria, Russia, Ukraine, and Turkey. And he comes back and he tells me about the nations that are falling, that life is tough, that suffering is extreme, and the future is bleak. And Dad is honest about that. But every time he comes back with another story, A story about Christians sharing the gospel in persecution. Doctors remaining in the war-torn land rather than fleeing to countries of comfort. They stay there to care for the hurting people. And often these countries are Muslim countries. And the Muslim countrymen, my dad says, are seeing the Christian doctors' courage and love to stay on the battlefield and care. And they are finding Christ themselves. It never gets reported in the news. Another kingdom is being built in the chaos and the collapse. 
In the disintegration, there's growing. In the violent world, there's a peaceful city. In an uncertain world, there's an unshakable city. And God says, have the eyes of faith. Even when everything's collapsing, God's still working. In your life, in the city, in the nations. And he's building a city. And you can invest in that city. And know if I invest in this city, it's not going to collapse around me. It will never collapse. Leslie Newbegin, a famous writer on the church, said, the church is an entity which has outlasted many states, nations, and empires, and it will outlast those that exist today. It has the promise that the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. In spite of the crimes, blunders, compromises, and errors by which its story has been stained, and is stained to this day, the church is the great reality in comparison with which nations and empires and civilizations are a passing phenomena. Christ said, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will never prevail. It's eternal, it's unshakable, and you can be a part of it, and you can bring others into it, even when the cities of this world come and go. Point number one, when the world is collapsing around me, what starts my heart fearing? I have a warrior God as a friend and a refuge. Point number two, and I have eyes of faith through prayer. God is still building his kingdom and I can play my part. And point number three, I need to take a moment to reflect and be still. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 10 is rightly one of the verses lots of us memorize. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. If you remember the story of Elijah, he went to meet with God and there was a great fire. God was not in the fire. Then there was a terrifying earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. Then there was a, uh, sorry, I got the order wrong. Then there was a blazing wind that should have come first. Fire came third. But God was not in that either. And then there was a gentle whisper. And Elijah met with God in the stillness, in the quiet. And then if you remember Moses, he's leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And they arrive on the shores of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are behind them. The mountains surround them. The sea's in front of them. And it says their hearts began to fail. What does God say to Moses? Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Victory is in the stillness. Hearing God is in the stillness. If there was ever a moment in the New Testament that matched Psalm 46 verse 10, it's the moment in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is on Lake Galilee. His 12 disciples are with him. Jesus is actually asleep. Because nothing scares Jesus. But there's a a life-threatening storm. And these hardened fishermen who've been out there every day of their lives fishing Lake Galilee are terrified because they know they might die. And he says the wind and the waves are crashing over the side of the boat. There's a furious squall is the phrase. 
And they run to Jesus and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he gets up and he says, He rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. It's the phrase he says. And then he looks at his disciples and says, Why are you so afraid? Do you not know who I am? It's as if Jesus says, Hush, enough to the wind and the waves. And they calm down. And he says, Hush, enough to our hearts. He says, stop your fear, stop your anxiety, stop your striving, stop your busyness, stop the control of the situation yourself, stop, 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 quiet, be still, and know that I am in charge, not you. I will fight for you. You only have to be still. That is how you find peace and stability And that is how you have the eyes of faith to see another kingdom. You stop. You quiet down. You give him control. You know that he's God. And that he's going to sort it. C.S. Lewis put it like this. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of each morning consists in shoving them all back. In listening to that other voice. Taking that other point of view. Letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. You need to be still and know that he's God. And allow the river of the Spirit of God to come flowing in with a larger, quieter, stronger life. He will be exalted in all the nations. And my role is to be still before him. Final point. Noticed, and I got Barry to read it out. The psalmist keeps telling us, you've got to be still. You've got to stop striving, stop your anxiety, stop your stress and be still. And the phrase in Hebrew is selah. It's all over the book of Psalms. And it means, there's a bit of debate, something like pause or stop or reflect. So in the middle of your reading this psalm, it now says, set, pause, stop, reflect, think, quieten down. Take a moment and let those words go from head to heart. Don't just read it. Stop. What have I just read? Let it sink down. God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Why was I fearing that job interview? Why did I fear what my friends thought of me? Stop. Let God's voice come in. Let the words go from your head to your heart. You've got it in that moment of stopping... You confess your busyness and your striving. You confess your anxiety and your worry. You give him your life again. That's what these prayers and songs are about. Stopping and letting information go from your head that you know about God into your heart and become a reality. Listen, we live in a world where everyone has a mobile phone and everyone is connected to three or four social media channels, the news and email and a whole lot more text messages, WhatsApp, etc. We are connected all day, every day. You have to make a decision to stop. Turn it off. Get quiet. Be alone with your Father, as Jesus said. It's very hard to practice this ancient discipline in our modern world. The ancient discipline of stopping, disconnecting, reading the scriptures, and then waiting silently for the still, small voice of God. Eugene Peterson put it like this. Quit rushing through the streets long enough 
to become aware that there is more to life than your little self-help enterprises. When we are noisy and when we are hurried, we are incapable of intimacy. Deep, complete, personal relationships. So can I tell you, Christ City Church, seller, stop, reflect, pause, add 15 to 30 minutes into every day of your life to be quiet before God. Read a psalm and let the information go from the head to the heart. So there we have it. How do I find inner peace and stability when externally there is turmoil and collapse? I need to know the refuge. And he's a warrior and he's a friend and he's my fortress. I need to believe and see with the eyes of faith another city that's being built by the river of the Holy Spirit. An eternal, unshakable city. And I belong to that city and I can help others belong to it too. And thirdly, I need to take a moment to stop and know that he will be exalted and all my striving does him no good and what might do God some good, well, that's the wrong phrase, you know what I mean, is if I stopped and was still. Now let me come back and say why this psalm has been hugely precious and personally to me over the last three years. I've memorised this psalm. I memorised it on arriving in Dublin and I would recite it and I still do walking up and down the River Liffey and I walk up and down it every week. Let me give you three ways it's helped me. Personally, when I first arrived for the first two, three, four months in Dublin, I was very vulnerable, I was unstable and I was fragile. I had no job, no financial certainty, no friends, apart from Justin B, he's no good. No connections, no clarity on how I'd get the church off the grounds. And I would rest in the truth that God is my refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. And I would rest in the truth that the Lord Almighty is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. We all have moments of vulnerability and fragility. Let Psalm 46 strengthen you like it strengthened me. But it wasn't just my own personal strength and stability. That's why I prayed the psalm and put it to memory. It's because this psalm encapsulated the vision of why we'd come to set up a church. When we arrived in 2012, Ireland was shaking. The old foundations of religion, politics and finance had all been exposed as corrupt and had fallen into the heart of the sea. And a new island was growing up and no longer were people building their lives on the foundations of their forefathers. And I remember coming before we arrived in 2011 and 2012 and walking down the Liffey and it was as if God opened my eyes to see another river, another city, another kingdom that as Ireland collapsed, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, now the gospel goes forth and the kingdom of God gets built. And so we came to Ireland and we started this church nine months ago with the dream of building an alternate city within the city. An alternate city that the church that blessed and was for the good and prosperity of Dublin. And so I'd walk up and down, up and down the river Liffey and say, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. We were a church of five. And I felt proud. I'm in a city that's never going to be destroyed. Even we're five. Have a have vision to see what God is doing when your world might be collapsing. Or Dublin might be collapsing. But it wasn't just enough for me personally or as a church. 
This psalm also spoke to my heart about how all this would come about. How would I find stability? How would this church grow? And it is our, our favourite memory verse. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted in Dublin. I'll be exalted in Ireland. Steve, stop worrying. Stop stressing. Chill out. Love me. Love your neighbour. And know that I'll be exalted. I do this in my study. I do it as I walk down the River Liffey. I take a day out once a month in a cafe in Dunleary to be still. And regardless of what I did, God was going to be exalted in Dublin and in Ireland. So how do you learn to pray? How do you learn to have a relationship with God and communicate with God in all seasons of life? How do I stop being anxious? How do I stop fearing? How do I stop striving and filling my everyday with busyness? How do I have eyes to see what God is doing in his kingdom when my kingdom falls down? Well, I stop and I'm still. And I know God is my warrior friend. I give him my trust in my life again. And I thank him that he will be exalted in Ireland and in Dublin. Let's pray. Do you want to stand and Craig can come back and we'll pray together?